When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on complicated family wedding dramas, a habitual handshaker, gifts from clients, and umbrella etiquette. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, we talk about what the deal is exactly with potlucks. Plus, your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on roommates and house guests. All that? Coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post Senning. Hey, cuz. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning to you, too. As I was cleaning my house last night, I was thinking about house guests because I had just had one, and you actually had one even as of yesterday. And tell me, how was it going? Because you've got new, new baby and house guests. That's like... That's a lot. They seem to come together. Yeah. Oh, do they? (laughs) New babies have this magnetic power. I don't want to say they're like a black hole, but they draw things to them. I like that. Magnetic power, not black hole, but drawing power. Yes. They have a very strong gravity. And relatives love to come visit, and I love that. So in some ways it works great. And it breaks up the routine of a new baby in some ways. Yeah. But it's definitely some work. Okay. It takes some getting ready. I wasn't quite as ready this time as I like to be. Yeah. We had done all of our laundry. We had all the fresh sheets, but I hadn't quite had time to put them on the bed yet before people arrived. And I felt that. That was like, there was a little pinch from that. I know that feeling. I know that feeling. (laughs) You were telling me a story the other day about how Anisha woke up in the middle of the night, wanted to do a little little tablet time, Ah. but you, you were like loving the fact that you couldn't find a room in the house that you could go to to do it with her. So you had to encourage her to go back to bed without, you know, some kind of incentive. (laughs) I tell people my two and a half year old is more determined than I am. She has a better memory than I do. It sometimes seems like she's smarter than I am. She's working one step ahead. It was really that easy just telling her no to each of the the bedrooms she was suggesting. All right. So I have to tell the whole story. Okay. Tell the whole story. She remembered the room in the house that was unoccupied. (laughs) She's like, well, what about the downstairs, the TV room that has the TV that's not the actual living room. Yeah. And I told a little white lie. Oh, no. I did it, and it felt so weird and awkward, and I I kind of did the the etiquette dance. I tried to come up with a version of my untruth that was close to the truth, but it was two in the morning. I was really tired. (laughs) Like you had podcasts in the morning to get to. (laughs) I told her that it might wake up the people in the room that was just upstairs from it. There's no way it would have woken up people. We watch TV down there. It's not a big problem. But I got a vouch. 
vouch for you on this. In a really quiet house, the room you're talking about has no door on it to shut,、mm-hmm. and sound can carry. I mean, it can't exactly like bend and go around things. But I would actually say that was not a terrible white lie. It was. It was. I was threading the needle. Yeah, you were, you were definitely close. But I was looking but, for it. Yeah. <laughs> So was the compromise that you were going to sleep on the floor in the nursery instead with her? Yes. Yeah, that was okay. Good dad. She's a tough one. She's strong. She's smart. <laughs> she had this other plan in mind, so she wouldn't just shift gears with me and do the first thing I suggested. So I actually had to change my position on the floor of the nursery <laughs> because the first spot would have been in contradiction to her original idea. So the compromise was a different spot on the floor in the nursery. That is too funny. Two and a half year old logic. Oh my god! I can play this game. You're negotiating already. I know. When I did dinner with Anna and Jasper, he's. Still at that stage, he's almost two. A couple weeks from now, where you can still really distract him easily. When like dad, his dad was gone for a couple days, and so he kept asking, "Where's daddy? Where's daddy? Where's daddy?" And you know, it's very easy to be like, "Oh, bus!" And he's like, "Oh, bus!" And you can, you know, you're like, "Good," but that's only going to last for like another maybe three or four months before、yep. he starts being like, "No, no bus, daddy!" And it's just like, "Oh no." Anisha's starting to do the same thing, and it tugs on my heartstrings. She knows when I'm going to be away. She knows the days that are the long work days where I'm not home till late. She asks if I'm going to be there if she sees the suitcases getting yeah, packed. She's、it's, starting to figure out Dad travels for work. <laughs> it's nice to be missed like that. Yeah, but it's hard to be missed like oh that. Oh my gosh! So we definitely don't want our listeners to be missing any of us. So let's get to our show and get to their questions. Let's do it. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works: Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom, and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories. Some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos. Into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story worth. Right now, save ten dollars on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com/manners. That's storyworth. S T O R Y W O R T H. dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save ten dollars on your first purchase. And now back to our show.
Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. And if you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute, and on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media post so we know you want your question on the show. Sustaining members, please put Sustaining Member in your message, and we'll answer your question over on the Sustaining Member website, where you can access an ads-free version of the show and all your bonus questions. We begin today with a question about complicated family wedding drama. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. We have an invitation dispute complicated by family dynamics. I will try my best to keep this simple. Fake names are being used. Thank goodness. My fiancé's name is Julie. Julie's uncle from her father's side is George. About eight years ago, George and his wife Donna went through a bad divorce. They have three kids, Julie's cousins, who are upset and not fond of George's second wife. Julie is very close with her three cousins and Aunt Donna. They are critical figures in her life and have been with Julie through many ups and downs. Julie has little to no relationship with her Uncle George. Julie's father is adamant on inviting George. Julie spoke with her cousins and decided that George should be invited, but his current wife would make them uncomfortable. Julie agreed and sent George an invitation sans his current wife. Julie's father found out that George was invited and his wife was not and is insisting either his wife gets an invite or the wedding should be called off. Can you please provide clarity to this situation? Thanks, Anonymous. Anonymous, this is a tough one. And it's not unlike the birthday question we had a little bit ago, although I think that had a little, a little more hope to it to me. <laughs> it did, but it was similar. There was a new partner yep. with a divorced parent who wasn't... And the, the new partner wasn't loved by the whole family. We'll put it that way. This is tough, though. As we all know from past questions on the show, couples are invited to uh, social events together. And you just do that. You don't invite one member of a couple and not the other unless there's been some kind of okay by the member of the couple saying like, no, 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 I really understand that the kids wouldn't want me there. It's going to be best if my husband or my wife or my spouse gets to go to this event. I know it would just be better if I wasn't there. Like some people are really able to recognize situations for what they are and just say, it's okay. Go celebrate with your family. I won't, you know, get in the middle of this. That's not happening here. At least we don't, we don't, we don't know, know that George's that's position here. And I think that typically the other side of this that we don't always talk about is that socially, those who are upset with one another when they're invited to something are are actually also invited to manage their feelings and decide for themselves whether or not they can or should attend an event that others they're at odds with or have hurt feelings over are attending. So I hate to say it like this, but Julie's cousins have options. They don't have to go to the wedding. Julie's aunt Donna doesn't have to go to the wedding. George could get this invitation and say, no, thank you. I'm not going to go to this wedding. So there is this piece of declining the invitation that we kind of don't always talk about. And I think that's actually like an important factor here. It really is because it puts the control back in the hands of everybody. Well, uh, Back in the hands of the people who have the problems with each other, too, you know. Really important. Really important. 
I'm really not happy with Dad coming to this ultimatum place with it.、Mm-hmm. And I think that Julie, if there is some way that you can talk with your father about this and say, "Father, we're not going to Dad, father, father,、um, Dad, we're not going to call off the wedding. There's there's too much here and too many other people's plans, but we do want to find a way to make this work. And frankly, it's my wedding day, and I want to be focused on my wedding day, not these particular family dynamics on it." I couldn't agree with that point anymore. And I think that that conversation needs to happen, and it'll give Julie and her fiance the space to come back to the place of, "Hey, this is our day, and this is someone else's problem." That, granted, we stepped into a little bit by making this move of just inviting George without the wife. That's a faux pas that should be apologized for. I'm going to say that. Like you should say, Uncle George, I'm really sorry. I hope I didn't. Offend you, or I'm I'm sorry. Actually, I would say I'm sorry that I caused you offense by not inviting your wife. I was in a tough situation trying to balance a lot of things that, frankly, are issues I should let you all work out instead. And I think that that would be a really good way to address that situation. I want to give you an on-air high five for、oh、a sample script on the fly、oh. for a very difficult situation. <laughs> There is so much to unpack here, and I. Don't know exactly what the solution is going to be. I have ideas、yeah. about the places where there's been some etiquette hiccups or speed bumps, but I think it's so important what you said about dealing with it so that you can move on and the wedding can be about the wedding. You want to face this, deal with it, find whatever that solution is so that you can move on and really enjoy the rest of your planning and your special day. So you know, someone's going to ask the question: Well, can't we just uninvite George? Almost as bad as inviting George and not inviting his wife, I think, is rescinding an invitation. Yeah, it's really George's responsibility to say this is so awkward and uncomfortable. I think I'd rather not come. That's the the easier part of the difficult host guest dance that's begun here.、Mm-hmm. I liked your idea of the apology for the、mm-hmm. offense that you've offered. I think that puts someone else in a frame of mind where they. Can be their best self and maybe make a similar kind of mea culpa apology and and make a good choice for everyone. I also agree with you. I think ultimatums are wrong. I don't think that it's wise to take these extreme positions that you have to do this or call off the wedding. I think that was the father's way of expressing what I think we're generally saying here, which is that no, you really should invite someone's spouse if you're going to invite them, and it's hard at this point. To uninvite, so you don't have a lot of other options, and that's not an easy thing to recognize when you're being presented with an ultimatum. But you want to look past that rudeness to the core message. So there's one other place that I'm going to dare to go with this. I don't think that the father should have been so adamant on inviting George in the first place, and、Absolutely. this I think is a really hard thing to actually say because. Parents and their siblings often want to celebrate big family occasions together, but I think at some point you have to pull back and look at some of the damage that family does to each other at times, and be realistic about that. And I get really upset when I'm talking with brides and when I'm talking with parents of couples who are getting married, and they're demanding that a sibling who has had a rift with a family, or that a, a nephew or niece, or Just that someone who is kind of on the outs be invited anyway. I want to leave room and say that it's a wonderful olive branch to try to extend to bring someone in and make them feel welcome and be a part of a family again. 
But I also think at some point we just have to deal with realities. There, Our family has multiple divorces in it in different areas, and there were years where we did not include all former spouses in larger family, family gatherings. Gathering. There have been many years in the time that has passed and in the air that has cleared since where we've been invited to or been able to invite all former spouses so that they can celebrate their grandkids or their nieces and nephews. And it takes time. And I really wish that Julie's father maybe took a moment to consider the impact and the relationship that Julie does have with her cousins and her aunt and just help to explain to Uncle George that, listen, you know, this is Julie's wedding and she is very close. And this was the decision that they made. And I'm, I'm sorry, but we're hoping that in the future, when things are lighter, we'll have more broad family gatherings where you and your wife can attend and it'll be easier. That would be one way that he could have gone with this. But he went the other way. He went the way of, I want to invite them and include them. This is my brother. This is his new wife. We love our family. We support our family. We forgive them for their mistakes and the hurt that they've caused others. And that this is a tough position that both these parties are in. A final thought that might help with that tough position is that there's another group here that are impacted or affected, and that's Julie's cousins. Yeah. And we're talking about their parents, and they've been part of the discussion that led up to the right. current situation. I definitely think that – I don't want to say they're owed, but I think it would be a good idea to talk to them about your course of action moving forward if you decide to invite George's wife, which I think is probably the the recommendation that I would make that you talk to the people who have expressed some discomfort about that, about why you're doing it, about your hopes that everybody can move past this particular moment and enjoy the day and keep the focus where it belongs, that you'll do everything you can day of to minimize the degree to which people are impacted by those past difficulties. You'll get them at separate tables. Yeah, exactly. For the dinner. Exactly. <laughs> and that you're not requiring that anybody repair the relationship for the sake of this wedding. Right. You're just asking that people do their best to get through this one day. Because you would like all your family together. And sometimes that's the seed of the repaired relationship getting planted. Who knows? Maybe maybe I'm being too optimistic, but I like to allow for that also. Absolutely. Anonymous, we really hope that this helps and we hope that you guys have an absolutely fabulous day on your wedding day and that the focus is on the two of you and the love that you share. Another way to handle difficulties is to talk them over calmly after tempers have died down. Sometimes the children can even see the humor of the situation that has caused a violent quarrel. And finally try to substitute positive feelings for negative ones. Our next question is titled Habitual Handshaker. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. There are no words to describe how glad I was to have found awesome etiquette a few months ago. While I hesitated briefly at first, thinking, oh, I'm going to feel so cringy learning about cringy. What a great word. I'm going to feel so cringy learning about everything I've done wrong. It was quite the opposite. I was not only relieved to learn about what I was already doing right, I also felt empowered by the shift in perspective the show has given me through its approach towards honesty, respect, and consideration. 
smiley face. Thank you for providing such a great program. I'm aware of how crucial etiquette is in my line of work as a hairstylist, but I can always improve, and there's still plenty left for me to learn. So here's my question. Handshakes. Aside from illness, when is a handshake okay and not okay? Are some people just not used to doing handshakes anymore? I do my best to try to read clients when I greet them and have regular clients and new clients I shake hands with, but sometimes it doesn't always go well. From sheer force of habit, I extend my hand, but the other person might, for example, have their phone in one hand and their coffee in the other, and then they have to switch things over to one hand to free up up the other hand in order to shake mine. Don't! And a little, like, like confused, face. angry face. A little dope face. Even worse is when I've extended a closing handshake to say goodbye and thank them, but sometimes the client thinks I'm holding out my hand for a cash gratuity. Double dope faces. I can't stand when that happens, and I know there's a better way. I want to be professional and foster trust by extending a handshake, and I know not everybody is a handshaker for a variety of reasons, but this is an aspect of the service version of the host-guest dance that occasionally trips me up. What's the best way to approach this in the future? Thanks so much, Habitual Handshaker. Habitual Handshaker, you have asked one of the favorite all-time etiquette questions. So what is it about handshakes? And whenever I'm teaching... I often say to the room that I'm standing in front of, I know collectively the people in this room have shook, shaken thousands, maybe tens of thousands of hands in our collective lifetimes. And it's still going to be one of the most popular things that we talk about today. And I say, you give me the elements of a good handshake before I put the bullets up on the, the screen behind me. And without fail, the room comes alive because the handshake is a really important gesture. It's one of the few places where it's okay for us to touch each other, particularly in business or professional situations. So the immediate answer to your question of when is a handshake appropriate, who can shake hands, the answer is pretty much everyone. And that's why it's such a great gesture. It says I come in peace, I come in friendship, I extend my hand in goodwill to to meet you as an equal, we look each other in the eye, we smile, we engage with our faces. That's a big part of a handshake, and that's going to be part of my answer when we start talking about the details that emerge when you're talking about navigating situations like people's hands are full or people are coming and going, and it's not always practically easy to shake hands. Sometimes there's a desk between you, and shaking right. hands across tables can feel kind of strange or awkward also. Is it a gesture of greeting or parting? It can be both. I think it's most common for people to shake hands when they meet, but it is such a warm and generous gesture. People are often inspired to shake hands on parting as well. Yeah. There's nothing wrong about shaking hands when you're in a service relationship with someone. And I like the the paralleling of the host-guest dance to this decision-making because in many ways, as a stylist, as a proprietor or someone who's in a place of business welcoming customers or clients, you're essentially a host. They're coming into your space and that warm greeting, that welcoming hello when someone enters is a big part of establishing the environment that you want to have as a business or as a host. I've got a couple of thoughts on this one. 
Let's go. Like, because it got me thinking a lot about my own interactions with people. And granted, my hairstylist and I are like best friends. And so that's a little different. Like we give big, gigantic hellos with big, gigantic hugs. And, you know, that's just how we are. Talk about your lives for <laughs> yeah, the rest of the time. Oh, oh, yeah. The rest of the salon gets quite nearful when we're in there together. <laughs> Whole other etiquette issue. But I think that when it's the very first time you're meeting a new client, Reach out that hand for the handshake, especially if when they're approaching the fr- that front counter or that front welcoming desk, that's a place for them to set down a coffee, set down a cell phone, you know, set down a magazine that they're carrying and then be able to reach out and shake your hand as well. And I think that for a first time client, that's actually quite important. So I would say even if you see that they have stuff in their hands, reach out for that handshake. Let them know that you're positively welcoming them into your space and greeting them. I think that's all super proper and good. I think that when it comes to saying goodbye, you don't have to worry about the handshake quite as much. It's nice every now and again, but this wasn't like getting up from the negotiating table. While it was a sale, it wasn't like a sale was made in the moment the way when, for instance, I'm about to go buy a car. You know, that's something where I might not actually be coming in to make that sale. And then I decide to make the sale. And so we shake hands for having... To seal the deal. Well, and not even to seal the deal, actually. As a, we did business together, and that wasn't necessarily expected of us today. And so there's something nice about that. I think that when you want to go to express that gratitude or to close the interaction, oftentimes I'm reminded of those moments in retail where you don't necessarily shake the hand of the retail sales assistant that you're working with, but you do say thank yous. And they're thank yous without hugs. They are thank yous sometimes that that involve like a little nod or the slightest of bow. And I mean slightest of bow. It's just like a little bit of a, a leaning a lean. forward. Yeah, with, with a little bit of a bow of the head that says, oh, thank you. I wish you could see this right now. Dan and I are like doing this back and forth with each other. But I think those are the go-tos for that type of situation. And then as you get to know clients, you might, when they've got a lot in their hands and you've come out from around the desk because you're so excited to see them again, you know, you go in for the hug where it's like the, the hands out hug because you do have stuff in your hands and you're like, hi, hi. You know, it's there's so many different ways we actually technically handle our greetings and goodbyes physically with one another. You have a lot of options. And there's a lot of reading the room or reading the cues yes. of that person that you're interacting with. If they're really burdened if they've got a lot of things in their arms and they're not going to be physically able to shake your hand no you probably don't leave them in that awkward position of trying to figure out what to do with you as you present your hand and yeah that can inspire a lot of deep responses in people <laughs> i must shake that hand so we you want to be that. reading those cues and but you can acknowledge it and you can Accomplish so much that you want to accomplish with your words, yes. with eye contact, with a smile on your face, with a friendly, warm welcome, hello, it's so good to see you, or at the end of the interaction, it was such a pleasure to see you today, thank you for coming in. Those are really powerful things that you can do that are also going to formalize and acknowledge those transitional moments that that you want to acknowledge. I'm thinking about two things here, too. You can... 
absolutely just say to the person, I'm not going to try to shake hands. You've clearly got your arms full right now, but I'm so happy to meet you or I'm so happy to have you here. But you also, I think about when I do walk into the salon and Bree's there and she sees me and she often, we were talking about how with the goodbye, you lean forward a little bit. With the welcome, I find people lean back a little bit and it's kind of like an opening. It's like, hi, it's so good to see you. And the arms go out and the head goes back a little bit. And then you're going through the interaction. It's just, it's interesting. It's interesting. I'm going to be looking for that. I've never registered that before, but I'm going to start to be a little social scientist and notice this. You're here. Yay. And (laughs) There's one last thing from the question that I want to talk about, which is the appearance of asking for a tip and I can understand the double dough if if it really felt like that gesture was misinterpreted I wouldn't worry about it too much be sure that when you offer to shake someone's hand your hand is in the vertical plane that your four fingers are together and your thumb is extended up oh so that it's not flat out like an open palm trying to receive something okay gotcha that if your your handshake gesture is clear it doesn't look like an ask for money. And I think that there might be something happening here where someone's planning on giving you a tip anyway. And as you work through that parting, they're thinking about that moment where they're going to get the cash that they're going to give you. Maybe they paid on a card, but they're going to hand you some cash or, or, or something. But just the mechanics of it have them okay. anticipating the gratuity. And it just ends up happening when you're offering your hand Can to I part ways. solve this one real quick? Don't offer the handshake till after the financial transaction has happened and been totally completed, right? In the best of all possible worlds, I think that would be ideal. Habitual Handshaker, we hope this gives you a few more options for your handshaking habit. Shake hands with danger and friends I used to know. Compared to them, I'm lucky to be just three-finger Joe. This question is titled, Employee Assistance Office, Gift Etiquette. Dear Lizzie Dan and the whole AE team, thank you so much for putting together such a useful resource. As a career counselor, I have recommended the podcast and business etiquette book to peers and clients countless times, sometimes to address a difficult situation and other times to simply have a chance to reflect on our own interactions. My question comes partially out of that space, my work. As I mentioned, I am a career counselor who works with mid-career adults with an organization, think employee assistance office, rather than external private clients. Most of my clients come in expecting me to review their resume and refer them to specific jobs, when in fact, we end up spending a few sessions going over who they are, how they view work in their lives, and what the ideal job would look like. I then support them in pursuing any changes that would lead to a better work-life balance. I love what I do, and I love seeing my clients gain better understanding of themselves and their world. But for my clients, this can be a shocking, incredibly self-revelatory process. As a result, clients are often grateful, sometimes excessively so. In the last few months, I received gift cards to local restaurants, usually for more than one meal, boxes of fine chocolate, high-end personal care products, hand lotion, etc., even a cookbook by an author a client and I had talked about. I am so grateful to my clients for their gratitude, and my question falls in the area of who has the last thank you if a client sends a simple note, I understand that I don't need to acknowledge it with a note in response. 
but if a client sends a gift, especially one that costs a decent amount of money, do I respond with thanks of my own? I would hate to have the gift go unacknowledged, but I also don't want to fall into a thank you feedback loop. I should mention that these gifts often come after our final session, so I'm not likely to see the client face-to-face for some time. Thank you so much for the work you do, Elizabeth. Elizabeth, I think this is actually a super easy answer. You just send a thank you note because you've already given us all the information that you wouldn't be able to thank them in person, which is, of course, our highest, most esteemed thank you that you can give, especially when it's heartfelt. But I think that this is the perfect example of when a thank you note is so wonderful. It's got the personal touch of your handwriting on it. In business, we do try to kind of go as classy as possible. And I think having that note show up at their office or their home, whatever address you have that you you have access to is appropriate. But I think that that's, it's, it's the perfect thing. You don't need to call them up and have a whole conversation about what they sent. It would probably feel awkward if you tried to text them, which is another method people really like to use. Definitely don't do it via social media. So to me, this thank you note is the absolute perfect tool for you. I love the way you're thinking about it. Sometimes people think of a thank you note as the hard thing. Oh, that's the the most effort thank you. And in so many ways, it's the least effort thank you for something like this because it's so simple. It's so clear. It is a one-way communication. And that thank you feedback loop that you're talking about, which is hysterical, people sending thank yous for thank you cards I and then know. thanking for the thank you for the thank you card, it could go on forever. It actually doesn't. And the card that you send will be the end of it because that is just a thank you card and it's not necessary to thank for a thank you card. And you identified that when you just – and I don't want to say just – when you receive a thank you note from someone but not a gift, you don't feel compelled to respond for exactly that reason. Elizabeth, we hope this helps and congratulations to you for having such great relationships with your clients. Good manners must be practiced as a part of everyday living until consideration for others becomes as much a part of you as your right arm or your two feet. This next question is titled Umbretiquette. And for those of you who grew up in the 90s with Umbro shorts, I definitely at first was like, I wonder if this is... And then I was like, no, Lizzie, umbrella, umbrella etiquette. This question begins, Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Thanks for a great podcast. I've finally caught up on all your oldies and look forward to the new episode each week. Here's my question. Last week, I was walking out of my office building with my supervisor. When we got to the doors, we both realized it was pouring rain. She pulled an umbrella out of her bag and looked over to see that I did not have one. The walk to our parking lot is about 100 feet, so she offered to share her umbrella with me. I accepted, but I could tell she was uncomfortable as we were walking, like I was intruding on her personal space. I tried to stay on the edge of the umbrella to avoid taking up space, but it was still pretty close quarters. What's the etiquette here? Are umbrella holders obligated to share with non-umbrella holders? On the other hand, are the non-umbrella holders obligated to accept offers to share? It would seem a little weird to turn down her offer, then walk beside her getting soaked, or to turn down her offer, then immediately break into a sprint and avoid the rain. Not always possible in heels or work flats. I posed this question to my friend David, who's a fan of the show, and we're both stumped. Any kind thoughts would be appreciated. Katie, I love this question. I feel like that's my own brain like thinking. <laughs> and, and I can just feel that moment where you're huddled with your 
boss or your supervisor under this tiny umbrella just feeling the awkwardness of how close that space is. Can I put something out there on this one? Please. This might have been, like, I I don't want Katie to necessarily feel that the awkwardness was about her being too close to her supervisor. It might have been her supervisor felt like she was being too close. She's the supervisor. She doesn't want to, like force you into a situation of being close to her and yet that's exactly what she has offered she might have been more about her own awkwardness about it than actually any worry about you katie absolutely i want to start ticking off the easy answers first before we get to the most complicated part which is are you obligated my first thought is plan ahead bring your own umbrella (laughs) and so much easier said than done in fact i was leaving a office building recently and someone got into an elevator with me and it had just started to thunder and rain and they had an umbrella and I was a little bit relieved that we walked out the door and went separate directions. Lizzie Post is waving her umbrella in front of me right now. Just so you know, I never carry an umbrella, but I did happen to note that we were getting rain over the next two days and was like, boy, an umbrella would be really smart. Why don't I up my game? I've got one in the trunks of the cars, but do you have one at your desk? It's like you need one on both sides. You need one in places. (laughs) And that was the conversation I ended up having with this woman as we rode down the elevator. And she was saying, yeah, I know. The trick is remembering to get it back to my desk after I use it this time. Exactly. The other nice thing about having an umbrella is you can offer to help someone else. You are in a position to offer. you are that crafty, clever person who remembered and set it all up ahead of time, that can be really nice. The other easy question here is, wouldn't it be strange if I said no and then was walking next to them in the rain or if I said no and then ran off into the rain in front of them? I think both of those actually feel a little awkward to me also. Okay, wait. The third option is you wait. Just wait. And then they go and then you just stay for a while. And once they're gone and they've got in their car, then you can walk and get wet. That would totally be what you would do. I would do the dash depending on how short it is, right? Like 100 feet is actually not that long a distance. In heels? Well, it depends. Now, if I've got shoes that are like suede shoes or something, no, I'm probably not going to. In fact, I'm going to want to like take my shoes off and run or something. But I feel like there is something where if it's not that big of a distance, just simply saying, oh, thanks for the offer, but I'm just going to dash it. And then, you know, put your arms over your head and dash for your car and get in as quickly as possible is fine. I don't think there's anything overly awkward about that. I think it would be so awkward if you said, no thanks, and then walked at like the same pace with the person who has the umbrella. That would feel silly. That would feel like, why didn't you? So that's more of a, not an etiquette question, but a what are you comfortable with yes, question no, absolutely. in a lot of ways. Because I also think your weight and just wait for them to get to their car and then dash on your own. Like It's one way to, to just eliminate that awkwardness, but also, you know... Do what makes you feel comfortable. Absolutely. And if this situation were to repeat itself, if I'd had that experience of feeling awkward doing it and I was going to say no, I would do something like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. As far as the obligation, no, no one's obligated. And in fact, that's what makes it kind of special. It really is an opportunity to provide a courtesy for someone. If you have an umbrella and someone else doesn't, you're both going the same place and you're leaving the same building, offering to share is nice. It's not obligatory, and accepting that offer also isn't obligatory, but there's something 
generous about receiving someone's generosity. And who knows? Maybe you get a little bit closer under that umbrella on that <laughs> walk to the physically, car. physically, but like connection. Yeah. <laughs> you might even say, boy, this is awkward. I'd like to remember to bring an umbrella next time. Or maybe you don't. Maybe you talk about something else. I will tell you that Trisha Post, my dear mother... Back in the day before I worked at Emily Post and I was working at Michael Kehoe's and selling men's clothing, high-end store, we would often offer to walk our clients to their cars with an umbrella if it had started raining while they were in the store. It was a nice move and we had really big golf umbrellas to be able to do it and not end up with this awkward moment of being too close, especially when there were bags with boxes in them that were often big. And I remember the time that this happened when my mother was in the store shopping for my father. And I said, oh, here, mom, let me walk you to your car with the umbrella. And she was only parked a couple like it was literally you could see her car from the storefront. And later she told me that that was one of the nicest, like most amazing gestures she'd ever had done for her. Like she was blown away by it. And it's something she still comments on today, which is just so you know, 15 years later. I always remember it and I always remember it in particular with umbrellas. And so I tend to be that person that will even offer a stranger and I just hold the umbrella up a lot higher. And then just if my right shoulder gets wet and their left shoulder gets wet, hey, at least not both of us are soaked, you know, but I am I am very willing to offer the umbrella. I think it is kind of a classy kindness in the same way that it made your mother feel good and think highly of the store and you, her daughter makes me feel good about your supervisor. I think that in some ways you could say to yourself, it's nice that I work somewhere where my supervisor would feel like it was appropriate and a good thing to offer to help me to my car. I think that speaks really well of the organization that you work for. And I would hold on to that thought as well as you sort of debate how to manage the awkwardness that you also felt in that situation. Katie, there is no perfect solution to the scenario that you described, but we hope that we've given you a little something to think about and that you're able to stay dry in the future. Rain for the earth. Rain must fall. It must be treasured. We must save it and teach our children to save it so that the plainsmen of tomorrow may claim their just heritage. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. And on Twitter, we are at Emily Post Inst. Remember to use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette in your post, comment, or feedback so that we know you want your question on the show. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today we hear from both uh, Cassie and Amy. Cassie's feedback comes from episode 248, where we were talking about the idea of interviewing with someone who is younger than you. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. I'm writing with feedback about your thoughtful discussion on interviewing with someone younger than you in episode number 248. But I'd also like to call out one of my wonderful employees, so this could easily be an etiquette salute as well. I'm 34 and two years into my senior role in a legal office where some of our managers have been practicing almost my entire life, and most of our staff have worked for the office much longer than me. 
I'm used to the dynamic now of being less experienced than most of the people in the room, but it took time to gain my colleagues' respect, as it should. My philosophy is that you need to earn respect, not demand it based on job title. But as the younger boss, I also want to emphasize how freeing it can be when older employees have the confidence to work within this somewhat unconventional hierarchy. As an example, I recently hired a senior attorney around 15 years older than me as one of my direct reports. From the first interview, I was impressed with the way my age did not seem to be an issue for her. If anything, I was the awkward one at first. She clearly decided she could have someone younger than her as a boss, and that attitude has made it so easy for us to work together. We have a comfortable, friendly relationship with no hint of a patronizing attitude or subtly second-guessing one when I make a call. The result is that we are both more effective in our jobs, and we're starting to make new strides in her division. I'm so grateful for this woman. Her confidence inspires me to be a better boss and attorney, and I hope I follow her example if and when I find myself answering to someone younger than me someday. Cassie. I love that. I love that when both parties are kind of able to say, hey, this this age thing shouldn't be the thing between us. And they don't have to say it out loud, but they can just recognize you're going to be my boss. You're going to be my employee. And those are the roles we're filling. Our next piece of feedback had to do with a question from episode number 252 about hyphenated name. Good afternoon. I love your podcast and thought of another possible solution to a question from episode 252. The listener asked about return address labels for hyphenated last names. What about putting the names on different lines? For example, and this is where I'm going to break in and say that Dan and I are actually slightly unsure about whether a space in this was intentional or not, an indentation was intentional or not. But the example that Amy is giving us reads John Smith on the first line. And then a slight indent with Susan Jones hyphen Smith on the next line, followed by the rest of the address as it would normally be the street and then the city, state and zip. Most labels allow for that number of lines because of suite numbers or apartment numbers. So that shouldn't be a problem. Thanks for a great podcast, Amy. Amy, you've created an interesting situation here. On the one hand, we do see the indentation used in this form when it's too long to fit on a line, but you still want to indicate that they should be on the same line together. But if you don't have that invitation, it actually indicates that they are not a partnership. They're not a a spousal or romantic relationship, but that they are just roommates. So, for instance, if Dan and I lived in the same house and we were trying to indicate to people that we were not married, then you would have Dan's name on one line and my name on a completely separate line, both lined up equally at the beginning. We're we're not quite sure whether this one tiny space is created for that indentation to indicate that they're together or not. The other option would be to do John Smith and Susan Jones Smith on the same line if you can fit it. Amy, thanks for the feedback. It certainly gave us something to think about. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today we're going to talk about roommates and house guests. I just had some house guests and Lizzie recently had some house guests and it got us thinking that it might be time for a postscript about sharing living space with others. And house guests. (laughs) 
you know, when you're setting up and discussing rules and situations like like these, like house guests, like visitors, like kind of noisy hours in an apartment or or things that that are about your habits. I really think that setting up and discussing rules and expectations ahead of time about visitors coming to your shared home is really important because it can not only ensure that all roommates are on the same page, but it can also give a good reason when you're talking to that guest about why the visit might need to remain short or why the behavior that you're going to undergo while you're here needs to be a certain way. And I think that that's actually really powerful. And it takes it out of being a personal thing and more of a this is just how we run our house so we can function as a household. And that to me is is something that's empowering. And so I really hope people are going to listen to this and, and feel like, oh, okay, these are good things to discuss ahead of time. So for roommates, setting up and discussing the the rules or the situations that you may find yourself in where visitors are coming over, whether that's just a guest for the afternoon or it's, you know, a guest for a couple of nights or even longer, it's really important that you talk about this way ahead of time before you have an offer for a guest to come over on the table. I think that it's a great way for all the roommates to be on the same page. And it also will actually give you some confidence in probably declining a few offers or confidence in really explaining the rules of the household to whichever guest you're trying to set up a visit with. And I'll say this works really well with families that are hosting people as well. A discussion like this with a two and a half year old, just for example, can go a long way to setting the stage for a successful visit. Absolutely. So we have about six tips here. Five of them are for the household and the final tip is for guests who are visiting roommate households. So the first tip we have is very much so similar to what we were just talking about, and that's to, with your roommates, establish ahead of time, long before any visit is is actually up and of question, how we feel about house guests in general, how we feel about the length that they might stay for or what each of the roommates would feel comfortable with, and also the type of house guest you're comfortable with. I noticed in my 20s that some roommates were always offering for family and parents to come and stay, which didn't always make other roommates comfortable. And other roommates would offer for friends or peers to stay much longer than roommates were comfortable with house guests staying for. So it's worth talking about the type of relationship that this person has to the household, as well as the length of time we're really okay with certain types of of people coming to stay. A sister might be easier than a parent or an aunt or uncle, or a friend you might want want to keep shorter than a family member. (laughs) Sounds like common sense advice. It is so important. You also want to set limits to the visit. And this doesn't mean just setting limits for the exact days or possibly even where someone is sleeping during this visit as a house guest. I'm thinking about things like depending on your roommate's work, sleep and study schedules, you may need to make room for more time out of the house or the apartment. Setting time away from the house can also help to break up the stress of having someone that only one roommate knows staying in a household. And that that can be a little bit awkward, you know? It's it's nice when everyone is friendly and welcoming, but at the same time, Dan's friend from college might not be someone that I know if we were roommates, you know? And that's a stranger to me, even though it's someone really close for Dan. And so you do want to kind of balance this. And the best way you can do that is by scheduling a decent amount of time out of the actual household. 
Our next tip has to do with the practicalities of the visit, the specifics around sleeping arrangements, bathroom usage, food in the fridge, who's going to clean up, who gets the TV or the coveted space, whatever that is in the house or apartment. So this is starting to get into the nitty gritty. Where is someone going to keep their toothbrush? Where can they expect to get a nap in the middle of the day or not? And who is going to share those shared spaces, the kitchen, the bathroom, and the TV room? This next one, number four, is a little a little interesting because some roommates will think, well, we're having guests over. Everyone is responsible to play host. And other roommates will think, you're having a guest over. You are responsible to play host, but none of us are. And I think you want to try to both set those expectations and set a balance between that. Definitely, I think that the host who's invited these folks to come stay at the house is responsible for cleaning up after whatever bedding situation is there, you know, doing those sheets or getting the the couch back to the state of couch as opposed to pull out couch or bed or just getting the guest room cleaned up and back to its normal state, whatever that is. But I think that it's worth discussing and understanding expectations because if a roommate pipes up and says after a visit, I was really disappointed. You weren't helping out with dinner and helping to clean up after this or inviting my guests to go do this. It's worth discussing because you definitely want your expectations to be on the same level for who is actually caring for and responsible for this guest, especially if things go wrong, if something gets broken, if something goes missing, if something gets eaten. Um, I think these are important things to discuss ahead of time. I was going to say tip five is a parallel tip, but you kind of just combined tips four and five. Sorry, sorry. (laughs) Defining responsibilities for a host and also having bottom lines are really critical. For our final thought, we're going to put on an entirely different hat. We're going to take off our hosting hat and put on our guest hat. And as any good guest, you want to do your best to not take advantage of a host's generosity to make your impact as small as possible. You don't need to tiptoe through life, but you definitely (laughs) want to minimize your impact. You could think of it as the campsite rule, try to leave it better or in the same condition I found it. Absolutely. Being a considerate guest is sometimes about not taking advantage of every opportunity that's presented to you, but really thinking about how what you're doing is going to impact your host or, in this case, maybe your host's roommates as well. Absolutely. And you don't have to walk on eggshells, but you should be making efforts in this way. And just, you know, it, it's you're welcome, but you don't want to take too much advantage. Always good to dive into the roommate world of etiquette because it is slightly different from families or from singles living in a spot on their own. And I really like the opportunity to discuss those differences. Thank you for taking me back in time. (laughs) We like to end our show on a high note. So we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world. And that can come in so many forms. Today we hear from Nicole. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Last year, I interviewed for a new job at a bigger company with a global footprint. Simultaneously, my husband, who has a career with more limited job options, was interviewing for a job in a bigger city. I made the decision, against prevailing advice, to be honest with my potential new boss, let's call him Joe, about the situation and likelihood of a cross-country move preventing me from accepting an offer. I was surprised at how this decision impacted my career. 
Joe proposed to hold off on going forward with the process until my husband had made his decision, and if the move happened, to introduce me to his company's office in the other city. Ultimately, my husband decided not to take the job, and I got an offer for a position slightly more advanced than the one I interviewed for. Joe has been a great boss, and I give my salute to a man who goes out of his way to be kind and considerate to his employees, and has given truth to the adage that honesty is the best policy. He told me a few weeks ago that my decision to tell him about my situation is what prompted him to give me a better offer. Nicole. Nicole. Thank you for this salute. We heard about a thoughtful, helpful, kind boss a little earlier in the show, and you have now upped the ante. Joe sounds like the kind of person I'd like to work for, too. Thank you for listening, and thank you to everyone who sent us something. Please connect with us and share this show with your friends and family and coworker in whatever way you possibly can. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst, that's I-N-S-T, and at Lizzie A. Post, that's Lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more about this by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks Chris, Chris and Bridget. Bridget.